0: And welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library. Four games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them. And that's pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk
1: Link. I'm Emmy Zero.
0: And we've got a great episode for you. Uh, Okay, we don't.
1: Uh, uh, So, you know, folks, we're playing every game chronologically. And that sometimes results in us finding some real amazing hidden gems, things that I don't ever see anybody really talk about, but that are amazing. And we're really glad to pull them out and put a little bit of a spotlight on them.
0: Yeah, sometimes we dig up hidden gems, and other times we're like, huh, there's some poop here. Yeah. It, it's not even like interesting poop. It's just like some one of the miners just pooped over there, and it's like, dude, come on, why did you – And then he's like, I'm sorry, I thought it would be funny. And you're just like, well, it's not. It's gross.
1: We're really starting this one off on uh, an enthusiastic note here. I know, guys, but... On a a brown note. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right, guys, get ready. You know, that's that's appropriate, I think, for this one. We're kind of front-loading this with our, our feelings about the games, but what do you say we get into these? We are still in May of 1992. We are. This is a month that had... Not a lot to recommend it on the game release front, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, we had Mario Paint last time, We did have Mario Paint, that's true. What do you say we get into it? Yeah,
0: I guess I'm as ready as I'll ever be, so let's uh, take a look at our first game for today.
1: Here's Johnny! Yeah, here he is!
0: This is um, John Nicholas's Golf. Good (laughs) ol'... Uh, sorry,
1: uh, um, no, Jack Nicholas golf. So Jack Nicklaus, uh he's a famous golf player, golf man, right? Yeah, yeah, he's a famous golfer. Although uh,
0: from the surprisingly good digitized photos of him, I, I thought he was the guy from Coach.
1: That's fair. He does look like the guy from Coach. That's definitely true.
0: Who would later voice Patrick the Starfish on SpongeBob. Anyway, this is golf game number five for us. And this is episode 15. And I don't think we've had an episode in which we've covered two golf games. So that means... A third of our episodes have had golf in it.
1: I don't necessarily consider golf to be as much in like the American public consciousness necessarily as, say, like football or baseball. It's really surprising how many golf games there were for the Super Nintendo in its first year. Do you want to talk a little bit about, about this game and the series it's part of?
0: Uh, yeah, so this is actually a port of a game called Jack Nicklaus. Unlimited Golf and Course Design, which was released for the Amiga and MS-DOS. Uh, it was developed by Sculptured Software, uh, who are also credited for this version on the Super Nintendo. It was published by San Jose-based publisher Accolade, who would end up getting acquired by Infogrames, which seems to be happening to a lot of uh,
1: it, it sure does. folks that yeah. we've been talking about in the yeah.
0: past couple episodes. <laughs> and uh, again, we will talk about Infogrames uh, later on. When we get to the first Infogrames game, Sculptured Software, I don't think is a company we've talked about before on this show, but uh, they were a pretty prominent developer throughout the 80s and 90s. They were founded in 1984 in Salt Lake City, dozens of games to their credit. Uh, some of them developed in-house, and some of them were ports that they worked on, and of those ports, they actually worked on some pretty important franchises, like Carmen San Diego, and even did an Atari port of mario brothers wow okay so yeah so being such a quality studio they ended up being sought out by acclaim and were acquired by them in 1995 and well if you know anything about acclaim you kind of know how the rest of that went um and if you don't we will also talk more about acclaim
1: later on because their name will be popping up pretty soon i think like an episode away i think i think next time we're gonna talk about them so look forward to that folks Ooh, fun yeah but anyway so this was a pc game Kind of an old PC
0: game at this point, I think. About two years old, I believe. Yeah. And was ported to the Super Nintendo, and not only did it lose a good chunk of its title, it lost a lot of its features, too. Primarily its course design feature. Um, Instead, what you've got here is a feature in which you get to pick courses that are already in the game and cobble 18 of them together into your own golf course, which. Eh. It's even more disappointing when you realize there's actually only two 18-hole golf courses in the game, one of them based on an actual golf course, the Muirfield Village, located in Dublin, Ohio. (laughs) and The other one is the fictional Bears Track, which Nicholas designed himself, and I don't know if that means he actually designed it using the game's course design tools from the computer versions, or if it means that he just picked his favorite 18 holes from other golf courses throughout the world and cobbled them into a course. Um, I've read things that have led me to think that it could be either one of those two scenarios.
1: And unfortunately, uh, I don't know that that the result is anything to write home about.
0: No, I think that this game is pretty feature starved given what we've already seen on the Super Nintendo as yeah. far as golf games go. It's also not very technically impressive. No. The courses look kind of nice. There's a lot of trees and stuff, though you have to wait for the trees to get drawn in one by one, which can take a while. I don't even think it looks quite as impressive as some of the True Golf Classics games. Like, I think Wild looked better and didn't take quite as long to load.
1: For all the stuff that I personally complained about with how... Slow while I was to like change camera angles and like draw in new scenes. This one, uh, which is doing a similar thing, feels much slower than that. And yeah, it just overall looks kind of drab to me. I feel like this game, it, it feels like it has parts of all of the other golf games we've played, but it's worse at each of those than those games were. This
0: game does use the three-click method that uh, PGA Tour uses, but it's not nearly as readable or as well laid out as PGA Tour was.
1: It feels really fiddly in this one.
0: Yeah, I I didn't find it nearly as intuitive, and I wasn't even quite sure if it worked in the same way until I played around with it for a little game also seems to lack all of the topographical data that when you're on the green that the other games all seem to have in one way or another like i don't think i've seen a game in which you didn't get a good read of how the green was topographically and with this game you just don't get that it makes dealing with putting a lot
1: harder it makes everything feel in a way kind of too simple, but also really frustrating because it's very hard to get the ball to do what you want it to do. Like there's there's not enough things to adjust. There's not enough data you're given, uh, and it just doesn't work all that well. It's not awful, but it's not really what I would say what what I would call good either. There's also just the kind of bare bones
0: presentation here. In PGA Tour, I think there was a little bit of that issue as well. It's
1: much worse here though. Yeah, you had
0: different golfers giving you advice, where here you just see the same static photo of Jack Nicholas who's giving you advice either on the specific hole or sometimes on just golf in general, and a lot of it's jargony in a way that I didn't feel like PGA Tour was. Uh which I mean, you know, People who bu- are buying this game probably understand the jargon, so that's fine. But hey, Jack, I don't want to hear anything about your wet shots. Okay? Yeah, please, okay, Jack.
1: Yeah, no. You also get a really ugly digitized sprite of Jack Nicholas when you actually like hit the ball. <laughs> um, that it's it's bad, and it it never looks better. Every
0: single other golf game we've played on the Super Nintendo thus far has had something about it that's made it stand out more than this one. This is just a really poor version of golf that I I question why they even bothered releasing this at this point.
1: It seems like the the actual golf game here is sort of unimpressive enough that I have to imagine a big selling point of this game was the course creator. And without that, there's really just nothing distinctive about this game. I don't think I enjoyed this as much as any of the other golf games we've played so far. I guess do we want to talk about ranking this one. Uh, yeah, I, I think we should.
0: Looking over at the list here, we've got 54 games on it. We've got Super Mario World at the top. We've got Pit Fighter at number 54. I definitely think this game belongs somewhere in between those two games.
1: Yes, I would agree with that.
0: In all seriousness, I mean, we've already said this is by far the the poorest golf game that we've played. I think right now is our lowest scored golf game. True Golf Classics
1: Wyalai at number
0: 32, or is there a lower one than
1: that? I think that is the the lowest-scored one, because we've got House Hole in one, we've got True Golf Classics Pebble Beach, uh, PG- and PGA Tour Golf, all in kind of a group there, uh, 28 through 30. And then just a little bit lower, we've got True Golf Classics YLI, and um, I-, I think this is a significantly worse game than that one, personally. I would look lower, yeah. yeah
0: me too. I'm kind of looking at some of the middling baseball games as a uh, ranking for this one. Like, I don't think this one touches Super Baseball Simulator- um, I think after that we've got extra innings I'm, I'm kind of looking at like number 41 and 42 Where we've got Nolan Ryan's baseball and Super Bases Loaded Yeah,
1: that feels kind of right to me I,
0: I think I like this better than Super Bases Loaded at the very least Yeah,
1: I would agree with that But I think it's probably not as good as Nolan Ryan's baseball Because we did at least have some complimentary things to say about that one mm-hmm. This is competent, it's just not good in any particular way
0: That's not something we would say about Super Bases no, Loaded No, yeah, I agree I think i'm good with this being our new 42 okay. that's what we're yeah new 42 all right so there we are jack nicholas golf at number 42 that was that was pretty easy and, and clean yep not a
1: not a fantastic game but you know hey we we figured out where it goes and we put it there we sure did we did our due diligence and we put that game in its place i guess it's uh time to move on to the next one yep and let the cards fall where they may
0: Believe in the heart of the cards. That's a thing from an anime. Nice. Anyway, we are looking at Arcana by HAL Laboratory.
1: I was not terribly familiar with this one before we played it for the show. Were you? Uh, No, I had never heard of this one. It is, uh, it turns out, one of several HAL games from this early period of the Super Nintendo that I was utterly unaware of. It's an interesting game. This is. A different sort of RPG than any of the other RPGs we've we've really played on the show before, because this is a old school sort of dungeon crawler RPG.
0: This one takes place from a first person point of view, where you are playing
1: as Rooks, swordsman, and card master. I believe that is what they call him. I guess in the fiction of this world, kind of like a, a magician that can use, I guess they're sort of like tarot cards to perform magic, basically. I guess this is probably kind of in line with like the sort of lineage of like the wizardry games. It's kind of got its own spin on that. But basically what you're kind of dealing with here is large, complex, uh, sort of labyrinthine dungeons, uh, filled with monsters, a party of characters that each kind of do different stuff, but for the most part, all capable of of doing some basic core actions and just trying to get through these dungeons and deal with the enormous numbers of monsters that are in them. Yeah, the
0: encounter rate for this game is pretty ridiculous at times. curious aspect about this game's presentation, and the one from which it likely gets its name, is the fact that most elements, including characters and monsters and even some items, are presented as cards. The borders of the cards tell you a little bit of information, primarily with what element an enemy happens to be aligned, but other than this, the card system is actually completely aesthetic. This isn't a card battle game by any stretch, it's Really just a pretty bog-standard RPG when you get right down to it.
1: It's an interesting presentational choice because I was sort of surprised, and then I was surprised again by this because I was like, okay, card, I I guess I'll see how this plays. I'm not sure how hard this is going to be to grasp. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, this is just a turn-based RPG where everything is presented like it is on a card. If you've played a Dragon Quest game, if you've played Phantasy Star... Any Japanese computer RPG with turn-based battles, you will pretty easily be able to grasp what's going on here.
0: So the only way in which cards really come into play is that Rooks is referred to as a card master and he can purchase elemental cards that he can use in lieu of spending MP to cast a magic spell. He can actually use up to three cards on any one of his turns, which cast some sort of elemental spell on his enemies. It's not a terribly robust system, and the fact that the game doesn't encourage you to use it more is kind of disappointing. All the characters are talking about Rooks as a card master. I kind of thought that maybe that meant he was going to be a more elemental magic caster sort of character, which would be... Unlike a lot of Japanese RPG protagonists in which you're mostly just hitting the attack button and using a sword, but it turns out, no, Rooks is still pretty much that too. He can just also do this card thing, but the cards just aren't really well surfaced in this game. And that's a shame because I think it's something that could have made this game a little bit more unique if, if it encouraged the player to use it more.
1: Yeah, definitely. I very much agree with that. And, yeah, it's it's also odd because Rooks is so central to the battle strategies in this game that it's kind of honestly strange that they didn't spread out his abilities among several different characters. Because Rooks is a very strong physical attacker. He can use the cards to perform various elemental magics. He is the only character who I believe can flee from battles. I think other characters can learn that later on. Okay. But to start with, Rooks is pretty much the main Main thing in this game, and then you have other characters that kind of support him. You start off with a character uh, named Tifa, who uh, pretty quickly learns like healing magic, but can also hit things with her staff. You also have a elemental spirit that uh, is one of four that you can get. Uh, you start off with the Sylph, the wind spirit, which. Has a very weak physical attack and also can change your human character's elemental affinity to to the wind element, which I guess makes them stronger against uh, monsters of the opposing type. For the most part, it's pretty much just Rooks attacks things, and then you kind of kill time with the other characters until it's time for Rooks to attack things again.
0: Yeah, that is how that first dungeon feels. And honestly, it's how the second dungeon feels, too, until you finally get a third human character in your party. So the elemental companion is sort of the other unique aspect of this game, but again, It's something that I wish the game embraced and used more effectively, because uh, Sylph, as an attacker, quickly becomes pretty much weak to the point that she's irrelevant, and that the only role she's going to play is shifting your elemental properties when you happen to be fighting a monster that's weak to those. Yeah, I played through the first dungeon and most of the second, and I never encountered another one of the elemental companions that Rooks can swap Sylph out for. I don't know if those are encountered later on as part of the story or if you have to do something to acquire them i'm I'm not sure but you know i feel like if if i had those other elemental characters or if i found them sooner and part of the game was managing which elemental companion i want in my party at any given time again that would be a more interesting element here than just taking turns pressing the attack button which is what this game tends to devolve into most of the time
1: The other thing that's a major component of this is the enormous sort of labyrinthine dungeons and navigating them, which uh, I think it's... Pretty obvious having played some of this game that this game kind of expects you to do the very old school dungeon crawler thing of getting out some graph paper and kind of making a map of the dungeons yourself as you're going through them. Uh, there is a map in the game itself, but uh, the map only shows like the area directly around where you are right then and it doesn't scroll, so you can't really get like a clear sense of the entire dungeon from that. I didn't realize that's the way this game was uh, at first and by the time I did, I was so deep into the first dungeon that I was just lost, and I didn't know if starting to make a map from there would even really have been useful for me. I never found my way back out of it. I never found my way to the end, so I never fought a boss. I just spent a very long time just sort of wandering around, possibly in circles, in this dungeon. I didn't die. I just eventually got to a point where I felt like I wasn't making any progress, and I turned the game off. You did not have that experience, and you were able to make it a lot further than me, and you did what I probably should have done, and actually looked up maps of this game's dungeons, which is another option you luckily do have in 2019. It didn't even really occur to me to do that.
0: You only sort of get a map because anytime you pull up the map, you only see a little bit of it, and it's fixed depending on what your location is in the dungeon, so if you're too far away from any exits or anything like that, you're not going to know where you need to go, you know? And and it's just one of those quality of life things that I feel like the game should have had that it doesn't, that just makes the game a little bit more impenetrable than it probably should be.
1: If the game was going to expect you to draw your own map, It maybe should have actually said that at some point, because I would have. But the fact that there is technically a map in the game kind of suggests that you don't really need to worry about that until it becomes extremely clear that you do. There's
0: a lot of other little things about this game that just makes everything a little bit more frustrating than it probably should be. The fact that you can only hold so many items at once and that they don't stack. Like, I found myself, for some reason, needing to use items to make other items I had visible and therefore accessible from my menu. I don't know if I was just doing something wrong or if that was how it was actually supposed to work. But that was weird and frustrating. The encounter rate is way too high sometimes. Like I literally would take one step between two enemy confrontations at times. Yeah, that
1: definitely happened to me a lot. And the battles are very simple, so the fighting isn't really interesting at that point. It's just kind of a slog, really. Yeah,
0: there's also the fact that you can only save in towns. And also, if a single human character loses their HP, it's game over. There's no revive items or anything like that. Your elemental can fall in battle, and you can revive them in a town. But if any human character at all dies then, yeah, you have to reload a save.
1: That's rough, yeah. The other thing that I read about with this game that obviously I didn't experience because I never made it out of the first dungeon is the fact that apparently you can't revisit dungeons in this. Like, once you finish a dungeon, you're on to the next one. So if you're not actually adequately leveled up for that next dungeon by the time you get to it, there's no real way to, like... You know, grind for experience. You're just fighting much stronger monsters that will kill you very quickly. It's possible to get yourself into an unwinnable situation in this game, apparently.
0: I did kind of like aspects of this game, and I think it's kind of neat, but, you know, I wish that its more interesting elements were more surface level than they are. You know, again, going back to the whole card magic and the elemental companions, I wish that it just had a few of those quality of life improvements that we're talking about. Otherwise, you know, this would be a a really, really recommendable game, and as it is, it's just kind of... It's all right but not very great. There's too
1: much stuff here that doesn't work quite right, I think. I think it looks pretty nice. The presentation's fairly simple, but there's kind of just enough uh detail and animation to things that it 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 doesn't look really static and and boring for the most part. I don't really have much to say about the music. Uh, it's okay, but it's just sort of there. Yeah.
0: Um, this game also suffers from a very poor translation.
1: Oh, yeah, that's very true. For I sure. never
0: had a good sense of who these characters really were or, you know, why I should care about them. And I think that that's maybe just a problem with the translation not being very good and, and not really fleshing these characters out very well.
1: Well, because it certainly does try. It has like a, a pretty lengthy intro cutscene sort of setting up the political situation in this world and who this character you're playing playing as is, but, yeah, the translation's not very good, so you don't really get much of a sense of, like, why any of the stuff you're doing right now matters, particularly.
0: Well, do we want to talk about ranking? Yeah,
1: sure. So, the thing that strikes me, actually, in in talking about this game with you is that, There's actually some overlap here in what we're saying here about this one and what we said about one of the other HAL games we played for the show uh, very early on, Hyperzone, which was another game that had some good ideas that just didn't come together as a good game. Uh, I think this is worse than Hyperzone.
0: So I'll be be honest. I was thinking somewhere really different for this game. I think that this game's RPG elements are easier to digest, and maybe as a game, it's easier to get into than something like Draken. Uh, like, like my my sort of range was going to be somewhere between Draken and East because I didn't think it was nearly as good as East, but I thought it was maybe slightly better than Draken. But it sounds like you'd want to go a little
1: bit lower than that. I personally would because I didn't really enjoy this game all that much, even though I appreciated. A decent bit of what it was trying to do. Also, to be fair, I kind of gave myself an additional roadblock with this game that you didn't. You did get to see more of this.
0: Obviously, they, they weren't expecting people to just like consult maps back well, I mean, you know, maybe then again, maybe they were. I mean, strategy guides were a thing. Strategy back guides then. were a so thing, maybe assumed... and maybe they
1: also assumed that people would think it was just sort of a matter of course with this kind of game that you would be making your own map.
0: You know, I'm saying Drakken and you're saying Hyperzone. There's, you know, there's a good gap between there. Drakken's at number 22 and Hyperzone's at 33. I guess we can kind of start from Hyperzone and maybe start working our way up. We've got Lagoon at number 31. I think these are two pretty comparable games. Like, they're both kind of middling RPGs. I I think that the
1: systems in Arcana work better than the systems in Lagoon. Lagoon is fundamentally kind of a Broken game because of the changes they made from its original version, and this isn't. This is this is working as intended. Whether whatever you think of of how that is, then we have our kind of our golf game unit yeah, right here, um, including
0: another Hal game at the top at twenty eight household hole in one. <laughs> yeah, you know, really thinking about it, like it's hard for me to say. I think that this game works better than, say, something like PGA Tour Golf. I would be okay with putting this between PGA Tour Golf and True Golf Classics Pebble Beach, uh, so making it our new number 30. I, I, would, feel I would
1: feel good about that. Um, do you feel good about that? Because I, I know that you were looking a lot higher. For this, I mean, like, it's, it's hard for me to say that I think this game is
0: worse than Drakken, but it's definitely a lot less fascinating than Draken. Like, Drakken was very bold and it took risks. A big problem with this game is that it didn't take enough risks.
1: Yeah, because if this game was sort of out there doing, doing something really unusual, I would definitely, honestly, give it a lot more leeway for the parts of it that I didn't like. But because it's so much in kind of a particular mold for this kind of game, you know, I can't really say, oh, well, at least it's, you know, really trying something different.
0: It's got systems in there that it should have leaned on more to make it a more unique experience and they didn't do that
1: okay so arcana is going to be our new number 30 game yeah
0: i think i'm okay with that i think that's a good compromise especially coming out on a system that already had some you know decent rpgs on it 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 needed something different and it just didn't
1: do it so someone some could say that it's the jack nicholas golf of rpgs (laughs) (laughs) that's not fair it's jack nicholas golf is a lot worse than that but yeah
0: Oh my god, I I am so not looking forward to this next one. Like, even more than just, like, some of the really bad games we've played, because I don't even know how to approach this, but I I guess we just gotta do it.
1: Yeah, we do. Let's let's do it.
0: This is, uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2. A little bit of background, maybe, before we get into this. Yeah, Uh, sure. Let's do it. Romance of the Three Kingdoms is a novel attributed to Chinese playwright Lao Guanzhong. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, It was written sometime in the 14th century, set during events that would result in the fall of the Han Dynasty in 220 AD, resulting in the Three Kingdoms period, which saw several factions fighting for control of China. Uh, The work is notable for blending history and myth together to paint a picture of this turbulent era in Chinese history. It's also known for being very, very dense and very, very long at about 120 chapters. If you are interested in reading it for yourself, a definitive English version uh, came out in 1991. That's the uh, Moss Roberts translation, which uh, includes a lot of Supplemental materials that hadn't been translated uh, before that time. So, uh, interestingly enough, while there had been lesser translations available before that, it wasn't until 1991 that the Moss Roberts translation came out. Just a year before <laughs> this game came out, that's kind of wild. The
1: first Romance of the Three Kingdoms game had that come out in in uh, the West at all, or was this the first one for for the West? I think I thought it came out on the NES. Oh, okay, okay, sure. This game does not make any bones about what it is. Uh, it starts off with a very basic explanation of kind of what the political situation is in, in China during this period. And then it kind of just dumps you into it. This game is, I will say right up front, uh, extremely hard for me to talk about. Uh, I feel really out of my element here with talking about this game mechanically. But I know these games have fans, uh, a lot of fans, and they are still making this series of games uh, here and now in in 2019. Yeah, um,
0: Koei, who's the uh, publisher and developer of the series, released Romance of the Three Kingdoms thirteen on PS4 and X-Bone in 2016. And yes, I'm calling it the X-Bone. Suck it, Microsoft.
1: You know, it is very much a specific thing that I think has a real appeal to people that are very into, like, very crunchy kind of war games and, you know, kind of tabletop strategy games. Uh, that is not me. Uh, I don't believe it's it's you either, Steampunk Link, from what we've talked about. No, not, not even in the slightest. I don't know how to play this or to get to a point where I could understand it well enough to play it. I think I would need to have somebody who is... Uh, like a big fan of this game, really knowledgeable about it, sit down with me and walk me through what this game is supposed to be on, like, a high conceptual level, and then explain all the mechanics to me so that I could get it. Because just reading about it, reading, you know, how it works, and trying to play it myself, I feel like an orangutan trying to do my taxes. (laughs) I guess we should talk about, like, how this game actually works. You select one of several different historical scenarios that are all drawn from The Romance of the Three Kingdoms, and then you select uh, a essentially a, a warlord to play as. Uh, you select who your generals are, who's under you, you know, all of that. And then you select one of several provinces on a map to control. And then the game starts playing out from there. It's turn based. You have a bunch of different options. You can collect taxes from your people. You can do various things that are kind of peaceful or diplomatic communications with other provinces, you can spy on them. And I just felt so at sea with this that eventually I was sitting there kind of paralyzed with indecision and confusion, and uh, my partner, you know, who was kind of watching me play this game, started just telling me things to do just arbitrarily, like, hey, uh, attack those people, or, uh, hey, marry, marry one of your generals to somebody, just so that I would be doing stuff, because I didn't have any sense of, like, what would be a good thing to do, so just arbitrarily doing things at least caused stuff to happen. And that was... Honestly, kind of useful, because at least I did get to see different parts of this, but it didn't really amount to me playing the game in any kind of useful way.
0: Yeah, and honestly, you probably did more with this game than I did, because it's not even that I didn't know how to progress, it's that I didn't even know what progression in this game means. Like when you boot up the game you you're given the barest of background details you're asked to choose a scenario scenarios determine what rulers you have to pick from rulers determine what sorts of resources you have and which provinces you control and which generals you have access to. And generals have a huge influence on your combat negotiation capabilities. There's just systems within systems within systems. I know that there are fans of this sort of thing, you know, and and I'm glad that this kind of thing exists for them. There are really complex board games out there that, you know, are like the last things I would want to engage in, but I know that they have their fans. But the thing is that those games have lots of documentation with them and this game has a manual. Uh, granted, a forty-five page manual, so you know it's, it's even that is you know kind of substantial. But it's there's still just
1: not a lot there. And if you don't have that manual then this game is even more opaque to you. I really wish that this had some kind of tutorialization within the game itself.
0: You can even set the game to like a a sort of de facto watch mode by choosing zero players, but even when I'm just watching the game play itself out, I still don't understand it. When I start the game, I've got all these different stats and everything. Like I've got gold and rice and horses, and what are these for? Uh, According to the manual, I can use the gold and the horses to barter and possibly Woo! Other generals to my side or form alliances. One of but... the
1: things that was good about what I did about you know kind of just doing random things is I did at least start to see what some of those things meant. Like for example, rice is essentially like an energy meter that you use when you're going off and trying to attack another province. Like you can let, you can stay in the battle for X amount of time based on how much rice you have. Basically. That is an obvious, kind, but that's the kind None of thing of that's supplement. not clear unless yeah. you either already know what you're doing or you just do stuff.
0: Just from your main screen, there's a stat called cost. And what the manual tells me that means is like that is how much rice you can buy for 100 gold for that turn.
1: Like, would you have assumed that that's what cost means just on its own no no and also let's talk about the turns as well because one of the things that bothered me about this was the fact that i could seemingly keep doing a basically infinite number of actions during a turn like there wasn't anything governing like how much stuff i could do during any particular turn so i never felt like i had a clear sense of what a, a successful use of my turn would be I think the game just expects you to know What you're supposed to be doing From the start So it doesn't like try to Put any kind of a structure on this Like it it does very much feel In a lot of ways like You're just being given all the pieces for a board game And just being told like Here you go
0: I know that there are a lot of games of this time period that we're really just expecting you to sort of bang your head against the wall until you figure things out on your own. The sort of time commitment that this seems like would be required to start figuring that out to get to a point where you're actually playing this game effectively just feels like – so much that i just
1: yeah mm, yeah i, don't know. I i'm uh, with you
0: the other thing about this game is that because you have different scenarios that you're playing out starting points are going to be different depending on those scenarios and warlords and generals and everybody else are going to be different depending on what those scenarios are there's an element of asymmetrical play to some extent with this game because some rulers are going to be in a more advantageous position as the scenario opens than others. Like I was reading a fact to try and help me maybe wrap my head around this game a little bit. And the writer was sort of telling me, okay, in the first scenario, these are the armies that are going to start with a bit of an advantage. So you're going to be kind of playing on easy mode if, you're, if you select one of these. If you want more of a challenge, then you want to select one of these armies because they're going to be at a disadvantage. And, you know, like, none of that is told to you through the game. And I feel like that's a pretty important element. The one thing I'll say is kind of neat is that, like, you can play up to, like, 12 players or something in this game because, you know, essentially every single army could have a human player behind it. I can't imagine knowing anybody who would be this into something like this, who who would have been this into something like this back in the day at the age that I was when the Super Nintendo came out, which was, you know, what the primary audience for that system was – you know, and I, I knew some people who were really hardcore into RPGs, more complicated than the ones that I wanted to engage with, even back then. But boy, this just seems so out there, and I, I honestly don't know how to rank this because I don't know how to play it. This is
1: difficult to rank in a different way than some of the other games we've had trouble with, just because I, like you, don't have any sense of like how this game actually plays or like you know, whether this is a good version of this or not, in order to rank this, I think there's a few things that we can kind of focus in on. One of them is that I think we can both agree that the game is spectacularly unclear on what exactly you're supposed to do. This game is complex enough that I think... It, it really does suffer from the lack of any kind of a tutorial or or even kind of like a uh, like a sandbox mode where you can play around with it and see what different things do. You know, I mean, both SimCity and Populet had a little more going on than this in terms of helping you get a handle on your system on the systems.
0: With like SimCity, I feel like I can mess around for a few minutes and get a feel for it and then start over. With this game, I feel like just messing around just for the purposes of figuring out some systems and starting over is like an hour or more commitment. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and I feel like even that is going to be less enlightening to me than, you know, like 15 minutes with SimCity or Populous would be.
1: I don't know that I would say this is necessarily a game that I would never recommend to somebody, because if there was a certain type of person that I knew that who was really into this specific type of game, I would say, yeah, this might be an interesting one for you to check out. But, for literally anybody else, I would not recommend this. It's is like we've talked about extremely hard to parse and it's also got very little in the way going on like in terms of presentation it's pretty much all functional it's menus basically with a little bit of embellishment because it is a video game and i feel kind of bad about this because it is a game that we've both been pretty upfront about just not really understanding probably we need to look at the lower reaches of the list for this
0: Here's the thing for me is, like, when it comes to the question of who would you recommend this to, my honest answer is nobody, because anyone who wants this kind of game already knows it exists and is already playing this or a better version of it. I kind of feel like maybe Super Ghouls and Ghosts is a good place to start okay. talking about where this That's goes. That's fair, I think. Your opinion on Super Ghouls and Ghosts has lightened up a little bit, because you've said... A little bit. Once you've gotten past that first level...
1: It is a, a much better game, and and... You know, being able to see uh, like what the power-ups do and like how you can use them in different ways has made me think better about that game as a as a work of game design than I did when we originally ranked it.
0: I think this is the perfect comparison because these both have one huge hurdle before you can start enjoying it. For Super Ghouls and Ghosts, it's that ridiculously designed impossible first level. And for this game, it's just learning what on earth
1: even this game is. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> you know? pretty true, I think, actually. So yeah,
0: you're right. I could see myself getting through that first level of Super Ghouls and Ghosts before I could see myself being able to penetrate romance of the three kingdoms and figuring out what it even is so i th- i think maybe 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 this is the new 49 yeah i think this is probably the new 49
1: i certainly wouldn't put this below Zardion.
0: i'm i'm willing to concede that this is probably an extremely functional game once you know what's going on but
1: boy that that barrier to entry yeah so it sounds like this is our new number 49 uh romance of the three kingdoms 2 breaking the top 50 just barely <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know what? That's probably going to be a, a high point
1: for the rest of this episode. Because um, yeah, we got one more game. Uh, it ain't getting any better. It sure isn't. We played the Rocketeer, which going into this, I assumed would be. Uh, Pretty similar to the NES game based on The Rocketeer, which is a side-scrolling platformer. This is not that. Uh, so The Rocketeer, based on the movie, which I believe came out in 91, is that right?
0: Yes. Yeah, it's almost a year out from this, so which is kind of an interesting decision that they even ported this game to begin with. This is actually a port of a PC version of The Rocketeer, and uh, this game was made by... Nova Logic.
1: So, The Rocketeer is a movie that I think you and I both probably saw at the time uh, because we were both kids, and it's a pulp adventure action movie about a, a guy with a cool uh, jetpack fighting Nazis in the forties. Uh, I don't remember a ton about this movie as a whole. It is based on a a a comic from the time period, and the game uses art from the comic uh, instead of like sk- screenshots from the movie.
0: I don't know if it actually uses art from the comic or in the style of the comic, or if it's just going for that comic book look because it was originally based on a comic. So the Rocketeer comic actually debuted in 1982 and was meant to be sort of a throwback to 1930s serialized superhero shows and things like that. Yeah,
1: very much in kind of the, the same wheelhouse as Indiana Jones, which was also a, a kind of new big thing around that time.
0: Yeah, the aesthetic of this has got, like, a sort of digitized graphics look with the comic book interstitials, which kind of works. But also, there isn't a whole lot of art
1: to this game. (laughs) No, it's not. And actually, the digitized graphics in the levels mostly look, frankly, pretty bad. Um, You know, I, I, I would say that this game, at its best, often looks like the kind of, like, early 2000s Flash game that a company would make to promote a movie on, like, their website. Yeah,
0: yeah, I could see that. This
1: is essentially a minigame collection, uh, so there's a few different things here. The first two levels are—and I don't understand why they did this—an uh, extremely repetitive airplane race that you have to win. It, it contains almost no real, like, nuance to the gameplay. Uh, I was not able to successfully complete these stages. I,
0: it seemed like I could push a button to start the engine— I could push up and down on the D-pad to change the altitude of my plane, but everyone seemed to be able to go faster than me, and I don't know what the go faster plane button was on the controller. The only other
1: thing that I noticed about this is that you can you can hit the shoulder buttons to kind of corner when you go around the turns at the end of the, the, the various ends of the course, but I was never able to successfully do that in a way that allowed me to win. You have to do nine laps in this race. It's long. If you can't do this, you can't actually move on to any of the parts of the game where you're using the Rocketeer and his cool jetpack. Uh, it's a really baffling decision, and I don't know why they did it. Thankfully, the game does include a level select code. It's very easy to perform, so uh, we were both able to to experience some of the other levels. But I can't really say they're any better than than the, those early levels, even if the gameplay is different. There's a couple of levels that are a shooting gallery, where you have kind of a behind-the-back view of the Rocketeer and shooting various gangsters that are trying to to invade your your warehouse.
0: In the airplane hangar, but both of those shooting gallery stages take place in the same hangar.
1: They didn't even create a second proper level for it. This is a format the game pretty much does where it'll do two levels that are ostensibly different levels back to back, but they're basically the same level. Like, there's no real difference between them. And they go on for so long. I can't overstate how just repetitive and and dull this game is to play. Everything about this game
0: is mediocre at best. Like... The graphics are fine, but they're not terribly impressive. You kind of thought they were ugly. I, you know, I, I mean, don't think they're great. I mean, some of them certainly. I are. I mean,
1: they're better. Some are better than others. They actually, the worst graphics in this game are in the, um, the next set of stages after the shooting gallery, which are the two um, side-scrolling shooter stages where you are actually controlling the rockets here, flying through the sky and and shooting a variety of bombs and guys in white suits and airplanes that are kind of coming in to attack you
0: and other people with rocket packs, which would seem to under mind the entire premise of the movie.
1: So, in one of those, you're using the Rocketeer himself, and in the next one, you're using like a little airship that controls essentially exactly the same as the Rocketeer. Finally, there's a stage that is sort of like a really bad version of like Karateka, where you're standing on one of the fins of the airship of the bad guys and fighting that that sort of drop down onto to the ledge in front of you, and it's kind of like a. Uh, like a tug of war thing where you're trying to get to the end of this this plank to climb up a ladder to save your your girlfriend that is being held captive by the bad guys. Guys come in, you have to fight them with like literally a single attack button uh, without getting pushed back. It's the animation there is okay, but it's really really dire in terms of gameplay. Uh, and that 's it. that is this whole game. I just described the whole thing for you. None of it 's good. I
0: cannot get over just how poor this game is, just how how lazy it all feels, and also just how drawn out everything feels. like why do the shooter stages last so long? You were talking about the biplane race, but there 's other races that you have to do throughout the game, including one where you 're playing as the Rocketeer, and I think in at least one of those, you actually have to race for fourteen laps. According to the long play that I watched, why? Why would you have to do that for so long? Why is this long play that only goes on for 24
1: minutes feels like it's dragging on for hours? This is the most boring thing I think I've ever played. It seems like they knew they had almost no gameplay here, so they just decided to stretch out these little moments that they had to an absurd length and it's awful. The general sentiment around licensed games is that like they're kind of, you know, con jobs basically they're using you know they're they're slapping a a license for a beloved other media property onto a really bad game to convince you to play it just because it it looks like a thing you like this is the pinnacle of that
0: you know the most interesting thing about this game has nothing to do with this game it's the fact that the company that made it nova logic they uh they worked on a an ultimately canceled philips cdi game that was meant to be a sequel to super mario world called super mario wacky worlds It was published by a company called Information Global Services, or IGS. Ever heard of them? No, you haven't, because they existed for like three years in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, nobody has bothered
1: to document much about this game. I could not find an instruction manual or a fact for it. The stage select codes pretty much all you can have as far as, like, gameplay information about this. Because, like, I don't think there's any, like, strategies you could tell people to, like, make them do better at this. I've game. got
0: a hot strategy for you guys. So in the gallery shooting stages, just stay on one side of the hangar. Don't go to the to – past the point where the screen scrolls because – If you can't see the other half of the screen, you only have to worry about gangsters popping up on one half of the screen. There you go. Hot tip here on SNESCAPADES.
1: That's awesome. That's a a pro tip right there. That's a Nintendo player pro tip.
0: Steampunk
1: Link pro tip. But the point still stands. This is an incredibly simple game, and there's very little to it. I don't feel charitable towards this game. I don't think there's anything here to give the benefit of the doubt to. This just feels like an incredibly lazy cash-in on the license. In a
0: license that was already a year old at this point. Yeah,
1: I don't know that this movie was even that successful. Like, I think it has some fans now in like retrospect, but... I don't know that at the time this was this was a hot commodity. Yeah, I mean, I remember people, people
0: thinking it was all right, but yeah, I don't remember like it being a huge thing that lit the world on fire for years at a time. Certainly, if we had just gotten a straight port of the NES game, which was uh, made by Bandai, the fact that that would have been a better game than this really says something, right? So, woof. yeah. So do we want to do we want to look over at that list? Let's and let's
1: slam dunk this one somewhere on the list. I think we should probably just start by looking at the bottom. Honestly,
0: I'm. I'm looking at Home Alone, which right now is at number 55 of 57. I think this is a good place to start.
1: I would say I actually think maybe this is worse than Home Alone.
0: I think I kind of agree. Like, Home Alone isn't great, but at least it seems to have, like, one cohesive idea. And this game doesn't. You know,
1: it seems like it's even lower effort than Home Alone.
0: Yeah, like, Home Alone's at least, like, a tight experience, and everything that you experience in that game feels like it was put there on purpose and not just as, you know, time filler. This game feels like it's 90% time filler. Yeah, like, this game is more boring than Home Alone, which is maybe, like, the most damning thing I can say about it. That's
1: remarkable, but it is true, yeah. Well, below Home Alone, we've got RPM Racing. How do you think this stacks up to that one?
0: Any of the games in the Rocketeer, like, on their own against RPM Racing are worse than RPM Racing. I feel like the question is... At the very least, they tried to give you a variety of experiences. Does that effort count for more than what RPM racing presents you with? But again, like I say, effort, but like this game feels like there's just so little effort there.
1: Yeah, I don't know that there really is effort here. I think there's a grab bag of different ideas. I think that's partially just because these things are all so simple that you actually couldn't make a whole game out of any of them.
0: It's one ambitious thing that's executed really poorly versus five really lazy things that are all executed very, very poorly. And I don't know which one is better at that point. I would say like the gallery shooter areas work better than the racing actually works in RPM racing, but like, it's so boring that I don't know if I care that it works. Yeah, you know? right.
1: I feel the same way about the uh the the shooting the, the side scrolling shooting stages. They work, but they're not fun to play in any way.
0: I think I might give it to RPM Racing. Yeah. Like, because You know, they were that sacrificial lamb that went out there and tried the the double resolution thing and were like... Oh, that didn't really work. You know, so that everybody else knew not to do it, you know? Do we need to have a conversation about Pit Fighter versus the Rocketeer?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I I still think Pit Fighter is actually worse than the Rocketeer in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think that Pit Fighter's fighting is even as good as the bad like, the various bad gameplay systems in the Rocketeer. And those graphics are awful, yeah.
0: When I was writing my notes for the last level of the Rocketeer, I actually wrote, This part of the game looks like it has brawling mechanics that only Pit Fighter would be envious of. (laughs)
1: Because, yeah, they're not good, but the brawling mechanics in Pit Fighter are are honestly about as bad. And And at least in the Rocketeer, you're trying to do something beyond just hit the bad guys in that stage. It's a
0: mess, but it's still not worse than Pit Fighter.
1: Yep. So yeah, the Rocketeer, it looks like it's gonna be our new number 57. I would say congratulations to the Rocketeer, but I'm not. That
0: was, uh, yeah, this it. one's been a little bit of a bummer, guys, not gonna lie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I really had expectations for any of these games. I can't really say that, for the most part, these disappointed me, but I don't think I would want to play any of them again.
0: Yeah, I might give Arcana another chance, but, I mean, there's already better RPGs on the system that I don't yeah. know if it's worth the time, so. This one's a bit of a bummer, but you know what, hey, there's gonna be days like that sometimes, it's gonna happen, and we all got through
1: it together. And that's sure, what matters we sure did it brought us all closer together uh as a team i think so we want to look forward and yeah see if, um, let's look forward to next uh, to next week and see if uh maybe there's something better on the horizon i'm
0: um, after looking at this i'm i'm not going to hold out a lot of hope but we've got super soccer Krusty's fun house oh sorry Krusty's super fun house Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank, War in the Gulf. That's a mouthful. Oh, I yeah, think.
1: getting hot in the kitchen yeah. with some
0: yeah. desert storm. And uh, Space Football, One-on-One. I don't really get
1: that, but I okay. I don't know how one-on-one football works, but... I'm excited by the concept of Space Football, though. Maybe that's fine.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, you know, sci-fi elements in sports games work so well. Look at Bill Lambier. Oh, uh,
1: wait. <laughs> well, folks, uh... Join us for that. I'm sure it'll be something. Join us next time to have a time with us in these games.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll have a time. So, until next time, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero, And uh, play it loud. Our intro outro song is How Now Brown Cow by TechnoAxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at TechnoAxe.com. For more of our content, check out HonestPiranha.com. Thanks for listening. You know, again, like because it is kind of such a ho hum RPG, like there's a reason why. I had actually heard of and played a game like Draken before we did the show. Yeah. And I'd never heard of Arcana before. Yeah.
1: Nobody talks about Arcana and I honestly can't blame them for that. Cause that's to me, not a, very remarkable game in a lot of ways. Yeah,
0: I do not think we'll be seeing rooks in Smash
1: anytime soon. Really? Because I think everybody's really ready for another character with a sword in Smash Brothers. I don't think that.
0: Yeah, another. Yeah, one more sword. Like a and blue, blue haired with a guy, yeah, blue-haired guy, magical element. Yeah,
1: blue-haired, blue-haired sword anime swordsman with with a little bit of magic. Like this is what the Smash community wants, and uh, some would argue what it needs right now. So, yeah. they should just make a smash
0: brothers game it's like smash brothers oops all swords (laughs) yes yes that's right